Hello everyone, welcome to the Laura Horn Art Podcast. This week is the last interview in the Redefining Success series and I'm chatting with UK artist Angela Terrace. Angela shares the story of how she moved away from digital art and embraced her childhood dream of becoming a fine artist. The conversation includes wonderful tips for loosening up, making art regularly and finding your own style. We also chat about the discipline it takes to run your own art business and why it is so important to consider if it is really what you want. Angela tells it exactly as it is and combines humour with practical advice. There are plenty of laughs and the word cracky seems to come up a lot. It's the perfect end to what has been an amazing season of interviews. Next week, Richie and I will be back together to recap the episodes and share what we have learned. Before we get started, I encourage you to check out Angela's abstract paintings. Her website is angelaterrace.com and you can find her on Instagram at angelaterrace. With that said, let's begin the last interview for this season. First of all, I just want to welcome you to the podcast and thank you for giving up some of your time to come and have a chat with me. No problem. I'm looking forward to it very much. And I wanted to say that one of the reasons that I invited you onto the podcast was because I know that you spent 20 years working as a digital artist and you were hunched over your Mm. computer screen and then you decided that you wanted to break free and you moved out of that and became a fine artist and a painter And I just thought that's an incredible story and an amazing pivot. So that's what we're going to dig into today. But one of the things I... Okay. So, yeah, we're going to go in there and talk about, like, how that happened, um, what it felt like to make that change, some of the challenges, but also um, the positives that came out of it. But before we do that, let's go back a bit And can you tell us, how did you get started with your creative career? Oh, crikey. That's going back a long time. If you go back really back, I think as a child, I just felt like it was the only thing that I really got noticed for, I suppose. Uh, I can remember being at school, maybe eight or nine, and we had to draw a portrait of the Scottish explorer David Livingstone. And I did that and all the other kids loved it and they wanted me to draw their portrait for them. And I think it just went on from there. I think uh, I was quite a shy child. So that was just a way to sort of express myself and something that was mine that maybe uh, I made me stand out a little bit from other people because I was always hiding in the background. So you know, it came to, yeah, I want to do art. I used to hide in the art room all the time at school. Um, just loved it, loved the art teacher. So I ended up going to foundation and then I went to art school at Chelsea School of Art. And then I finished there. I mean, they don't really prepare you at art school to come out and actually set up a business or to do anything like that. But it's kind of, a, it sounds a really sort of, daft reason why I set up my first creative business is because I was actually too scared to go and have a job interview it was um it's easier for me to set up a creative business than actually have to go through (laughs) through that that's interesting (laughs) it's just like 
oh no, that is too scary. Social anxiety is too hard for that. So I started out as a, a designer maker making handmade ceramics. I got a loan from the Princess Youth Business Trust, which we have over here to help young people set up businesses. I had a mentor, which really was helpful. They gave you a mentor. Uh, for about six months and he was there you had regular meetings to help you and keep you on track and just support you uh, having somebody more knowledgeable to tap into and also there was uh, reduced fees at trade fairs so through that I could get into the really big trade fairs that were going on at a vastly reduced cost that I couldn't afford and it was through there that I just started meeting buyers and I began selling my work to some of uh, you know the top sort of shops uh, like Liberties in London which uh, a lot of people will know I was really lucky that way and it just kind of blossomed from there I've been really lucky that sort of opportunities have presented themselves as part of that uh, for example, illustration, I never set out to do illustration, but through a trade fair, somebody saw my sort of illustrative sort of ceramic work and uh, they said, you know, we're looking for people to illustrate a book. Would you like to illustrate a book? And of course, yes, I'd like to illustrate a book. And then suddenly overnight, it was like, oh, I could do illustration. And then it's sort of illustration and I started doing children's books. And it just kind of blossoms from there, like chance meetings and one thing morphs into another. And I moved from London back up here to sort of where I'm from in the middle of the UK. And I didn't know any artists. And I saw a little advert for some training to, to be able to run workshops in an arts organisation. I thought, well, that's a great way to actually meet fellow artists uh, and build a a community up here and then before I know it I'm volunteering on workshops and then asked to project coordinate uh, some wonderful projects then I'm doing and then that becomes full-time teaching workshops and it just keeps on progressing and progressing from there and one thing morphs into another I mean I've had an amazing career I've been so lucky really blessed with it so. When did you know that you wanted to make a shift away from digital art? I think that came about for lots of different reasons. To be honest, it's because I became quite poorly and with some chronic pain uh, problems that I just could not sit at the computer anymore. I was getting migraines. Mm -hmm. It was just, I had been so creative for other people for so long. I just kind of hit a full stop, like burnout. And I just decided I, I need to change something. I never intended to be like an abstract artist. The idea was actually to do more freehand work to then go into the computer to reduce my time at the computer uh, while I could work on sort of healing my body to be able to increase that time again. So when I started out, it was about, you know, splitting paint around just to get comfortable with being freehand. And it just kind of developed and I just really enjoyed the process of splodging paint around and seeing the, the colours together and the textures. And then it started to go, well, actually, I'm really enjoying this. And I was focusing more and more time in that area that it just became, again, something that just grew from some, something and has become something else. 
and something I really love doing. And I'm really pleased that I've sort of really been determined to continue with that and push it and challenge myself in that direction. So when you were working as a digital artist, you had many, Mm -hmm. many big clients, plenty of work and things like that. So what was it like to think about going in a different direction and to almost like start from scratch in a way, building up an audience for this new style of work? Mm, Scary uh, because you're really letting go of something that you know is very familiar to be working. I suppose the most, the biggest difference is before digital artist I either had an agent as a children's book illustrator and doing the illustration work I was working for arts organizations so a lot of the work came because I was in the arts organizations I didn't necessarily you know I let other people in a way find the work and I would come in and I would do it I would fulfill the briefs and then it became actually I want more control over the projects I'm doing and the direction I want so then the focus becomes very much onto you your responsibility to um, drive this this thing and so I think that was the biggest thing is to to sort of let go of that sort of comfort blanket that you had to then become oh crikey this is me People are going to see me, see my work, and it, it becomes far more personal, I think, in a way, instead of sort of being more that freelancer or the contracted or commercial artist. So when you were working as a digital artist, were you often given quite specific parameters or direction around the type of art that you were creating? Yes, uh, you're particularly commissioned because of the sort of the work that you produce and people are wanting that style so they're buying into what you create and you know especially with like children's books you are particularly you're giving the page the text is already there you're giving the space that you have to work in um they might say it's for this age range Uh, we want it in a particular way they might give you samples of what they want I mean there was a little bit more freedom with doing the workshops and more with the voluntary sector type work because then I'm really working with what people are producing there and then taking what they're producing and then creating something from that so there was always those parameters as you're saying for me to contain or expectations that you could work from and there's deadlines so you know that right I have to get that work done by that time while being an artist and self-directive is very very different it's much more open and unless you've got that sort of um discipline and perseverance you know it's quite easy to fall into procrastination yeah it's quite a different way of working isn't it I was going to say um, I'm very grateful for that time as a freelancer and working for the arts organizations because that has given me that discipline so as I work as an artist I'm working it as still how I would in those ways it's still like work it's still a job it's my job to turn up to do the artwork it doesn't get done unless I do that so um, I'm very grateful for all that time those 20 years 
to give me that self-discipline. That's interesting because one of the things that can be hard is bringing some structure into the way that you do things when you are working as an artist for yourself and not necessarily working with clients and things but just doing it sort of all on your own, every aspect of the the art and the business side of things. It can be really hard like to put in place things that actually make it feel almost like an, a normal job. So it's interesting that you say that that helped you, that self-discipline. So once you started painting and you realised that you were enjoying the freedom of working in that way, did you slowly transition your business to focus more on that or did you transition quite quickly? Yeah, it was definitely a slow transition. Um, I think in the past when I've transitioned between things, they've been quite quickly. This has definitely been a slower transition. I think I think the key moment for me in that, for starters, it was when I started, I was so anxious in creating my own art. I couldn't even sit down for 30 seconds to paint. I'd be so, oh, oh, I need to go and do some cleaning. Oh, I need a cup of tea now. So I literally had to build up that confidence and get over the anxiety of creating or performance anxiety in a way to get to the stage where actually I can spend a whole morning doing that or can spend a whole day doing that. So that was a very slow process, I'd say over four years. And that's where the 100 day project really, really helped me with that. And I think they also got to a stage, I would say it was last year that I kind of sort of had a bit of an epiphany in a way. And it was like, Angela, why are you spending all this time and energy in trying to get that sort of part-time thing that gives you regular income to get that sense of safety in, in a monetary sense? Because it's very difficult to create if you are worrying about money uh, and run a business and make choices from not a fear base, but more from a growth mindset. I said, why don't you just put all that energy you're putting into that, into your art business? And I think that's that became the pivotal point. I wouldn't say that I changed overnight, but that's when it became actually, I could really do this. So you mentioned just before that you had a lot of anxiety when you first started painting and you had to work up to being able to spend, you know, a few hours on your art where do you think that that feeling came from or that fear came from I don't know if a lot of it actually came from just working on a computer you know with the computer there is a safety in there because you've always got that undo button you've always got the delete button you can always go back in time to find earlier versions you can easily make changes you can make different versions of things in different colorways um, and I think that coming off that, I mean, I've been wanting to go freehand really for quite a number of years. I felt that little urge that I wanted to do more of it. But that sort of doing something, you can't change it. You know, what if I make a mistake, I suppose? What if it's not good enough? So it really took a while. And I think that's where sort of that almost exposure to it and going every day sort of sit down um right I'm gonna do a little bit more a little bit more until you just became I mean even now there's still that anxiety about sitting down and going oh is this going to be absolute rubbish what's going to come out I think it's always there 
and just accepting it's part of the process. So you feel it and you just do it anyway. So how long did it take you to build up confidence so that you could create on a more regular basis and get more painting hours in? That started when I joined the first 100-day project. I think this is my sixth year of doing it now. I've just completed. And I think that almost gave me the permission to do that every day. It's almost like I need challenges. I need to set myself a challenge. I need a tick list up on the wall. So I would put 100 days and I would tick them off. I need that visual reminder. And I think it was the permission. It was the permission of every day I can get up and just have fun and play with it. I think it's really taking that pressure off to create something perfect straight away and to see see it as I'm practicing. So each year is just building on the next, building on the next, building on the next. I think last year would have been when I really felt like I found my own style. So it has took a while to experiment and find that self-expression, I suppose, that I feel is mine and people are starting to recognise as mine. Wow, six years, six times that you've done the 100-day project. That's quite something. Yeah. It's not easy to complete. Like there's a lot of people that start that don't finish it and I am one of those people that have done that. Like I've started the project with all the enthusiasm and good intentions and then other things have just taken priority or got in the way and it's felt too hard. How have you got around that or set yourself up so that you can complete the project? Definitely last year, maybe the year before, I set some parameters again to allow me to fail in a way so and to take the pressure off. So I just, some ground rules. So the first one is, it's okay for me to just do five out of seven days uh, so that, you know, if there's sometimes you just can't do it or anything, that's fine. That's fine. Uh, not to do something perfect, even if it's just five minutes, it's a bit of splodging. It doesn't matter as long as sometime in your day you kind of sit down. You might not create some, but you give yourself some five minutes, some time or space just to think about it, what you would like to do, what inspiration, and just to keep the momentum going. Because it's almost like with, you know, that creativity, if you keep the momentum going, it keeps going. But then when you have a stop, in some ways it's harder to get that ball rolling again. So it's just what little things can you do just to, to keep that going. And did you choose a theme each year for the project? Uh, not at all. Sometimes I did try. Uh, one year I was going to do 100 days of collage, but I just find that too restrictive. I really want to use it as a, as a time to play and have fun. Life can be pretty serious at times. So especially as we know the last year that to give yourself permission. And I think that's where creativity and more creativity comes from is the more play and looseness curiosity I mean one of my favorite sayings that I'm always saying to myself as I create is oh I wonder I wonder if I do this I wonder if I put that next to that I wonder if this will work and that's the way like with the 100 day project just being open to that and just letting things just come out you know it's um sometimes we have ideas and we discount them before we've actually given them some room 
to sort of manifest in a way. And I think with a 100 day project, you allow that, you give yourself permission to do that. And sometimes it's just part of something that you're working on, you might like. So instead of looking at the whole thing, that's rubbish. It's actually to look at part of it and say, actually, I really like this aspect here. I like these textures, I like these colors. Maybe I can use that into, you know, I wonder if I can use that in the next painting to do this and that. So it's all the time just building, building, building. And I think the greatest thing with the 100 Day Project for me was to, to start looking at my art making as a creative practice. So it is constantly practice. Instead of thinking I'm sitting down to finish a finished painting, this has got to be a perfect painting because I'm going to sell it. It's got to be for someone. Instead, it's this is practice where I am getting better and better. I'm trying this and trying that. I'm trying this technique. And that just takes the pressure off you. And I think you're in a far more relaxed state. And when you're more relaxed, that's when you can tap into your intuition more and the creative flow and things can just sort of naturally fall onto the paper. I love that. I love that idea of it, you know, not needing to be a finished painting and for it to just be play and practice or or a little study or something like that. It's amazing how as soon as you think it's something that you need to sell or put on your website and present in a certain way, you kind of can almost feel yourself tense up a bit. Whereas if it's just play practice, it, it makes such a huge difference. So when you started doing the 100-day project in the early days, did you have a sense of what your style was as an artist or did you just go in there trying different things and kind of figuring it out as you went? Well, definitely the latter. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I, I, have no, I have no plans. It's all I've learnt in my long history is just that you might have plans, but you'll end up, you know, what's, it, what's the saying? You aim for the stars, you land on the moon. So I hold sort of things that... I hope for for myself very lightly because you never know that something opportunities might come and you might then miss them. Anyway, I, I kind of digress there. Because I'm curious because your work now is very colourful, bold, full of pattern. Mm. Were those signs there at the beginning or have there been some big shifts in style? Uh, I think when I started it was very much, um, like I was saying, around just me loosening up and practicing working freehand so I could then take it back into my illustration work and that was so it was a bit more illustrative and it was about me getting really comfortable with what uh, about uh, making a mess and it's something that I would say even through doing the illustration and things that I really struggled with my own style it wasn't until I started thinking about, you know, what am I interested in, what my aesthetics are. You know, I love um, Japanese aesthetics. I love the, the season uh, spring. And just starting to think about all the things that I really, really like and how can you pull that into your own work. I think when in the early days, I'd very much be seeing other people's artists and then I'll do something. I'd say, oh, that looks like such and such. That looks like this person's work. And that sort of dissatisfaction would sit in. Um, So it's just really becoming more aware of 
your personal influences and how you can externalize them on paper. Thinking out loud there. I, I love I love that actually. I love it when people just think out loud. I can hear almost like the brain ticking over um, as you reflect back and go, well, how did this even happen? Because sometimes with art, it's it's you don't even really know how you end up where you end up. Uh, so when you get asked, it, sometimes it's interesting to try and figure out the path. But yeah, I, I know what you mean, especially when you said about that sort of dissatisfaction and frustration when you are going through the process of trying different things and then you do something and you're like, oh, that reminds me of so-and-so or that reminds me of so-and-so. And it can be a little bit hard, but it is very much part of the process. And as you continue to make more art and get more, I guess, involved in your own process, you eventually start to see something coming through. How did it feel for you in the last 100-day project where you said, oh, I really got a feeling that my style was coming through and other people were recognising it? How did that feel to get to that point? Deeply uh, satisfying, I think. Um, I think it also really helped that the comments we're getting were reinforcing maybe why I was creating art as well. So it became what I was sort of creating and my why behind it was starting to come through and other people were recognising it. So it became more an alignment of sort of external validation and internal and I think that was really helpful because sometimes you can create work and people will say something and go, really, do you see that in that? That's not, that's not why I did it. And I think it just, I think often what can happen is that you need to sort of, sort of dissolve in a way, all those structures are never dissolved so that you can come back together in new ways and you go through sort of a, a learning way with that. And I think that's what's come through. It started last year and particularly this year that all these different elements of trying have just come together really, really strongly. And maybe going back to an earlier question you were saying about finding your style and things is I started a sketchbook. Uh, it's called my inspiration sketchbook where paintings that I've worked on, which might be wholly successful, is I would cut out the bits that I liked. So I was starting putting out and almost self-evaluating my own work and going, right, I really like that. I like this mark making. I went through probably a year trying out different papers to find papers that I liked, trying out different colours, different paints. So I created this resource that I can flip through and go, right, I really love those colours together from that. I really like this. And creating that inspiration sketchbook started to inform to me my visual language because in a way that's what you're doing is becoming more confident and developing your visual language so that people can kind of see what's going on internally your ideas your thoughts your emotions the other thing with that is it stopped me looking outside myself at other people's work because then you could go back and you're seeking inspiration in your own work um, and I think that really, really helped as well to then become actually I'm creating my work, not somebody, uh, not work in the style of somebody else, because I'm looking at my own resources, my own inspiration to guide uh, the work I'm then 
creating now. Yes, it's so important and it makes makes such a big difference when you are pulling inspiration out of your own work and it's it's like a thread, you know, you just take one thing from one painting and bring it into the next and it starts to build that connection, which is so good. I wanted to find out when did you start kind of taking steps to set up your art business? So you were playing around, developing your style. At what point did you start making a business out of it? Oh, crikey. Um, <laughs> I'm getting you to think, can't I? You are, crikey. My, fa- my favourite saying is, crikey crumbs. What's that about? <laughs> I, I think. I was going to say, I'm going to have to put that in the description somewhere. <laughs> Would it be the title of this episode? <laughs> Crikey Crumbs. <laughs> Crikey Crumbs with Angela Terrace. Yeah. I, I think it's because um, I suppose I just feel like I've had a, a creative business since I was 22. It's just kind of morphed and changed. So I suppose it comes to the point where you're saying, because in a way that that had become being an artist had become sort of a, a hobby, a, a hobby I was developing. And as you said, then there's that switch to actually, I want this to become something that generates an income for me. And that probably, probably two years ago, I started to think, oh, I'm really loving this. I really enjoy it. And that's when it became. However, the industry has very much changed from when I first started. Cracky's going to show how old I am. You know, when I started with uh, design and maker, the ceramics, the illustration, social media wasn't really around. That's why, uh, you know, you got an agent or you went to trade fairs because you had to have other means of doing things. I think for me, with the where I am right now, is very much about me taking, as I said earlier, you know, ownership of that, and I'm not going through third parties anymore. So it was for me to go. Actually, this is my responsibility to do this. I've had to be on a really huge learning curve, you know, about websites, e-commerce, online training, coaching. So just that huge learning curve to be able to get. So that's probably why the process, as you're saying, is sort of that transition has been a lot slower, maybe about that four years, because it's like, actually, this is, the industry's really changed and I've got to get up to speed with that. So as well as building up my confidence in my art, I've had to build up my confidence in that back-end processes and systems as well. So... It's a lot to get your head around, isn't it? Yeah. I'm just wondering if I've answered your question because I can go off on tangents. <laughs> tangents <laughs> are fine. Tangents are fine. Uh, <laughs> I'm just curious about when you switched into fully making art and having a self-directed art business rather than working with clients and doing the illustration work. I think it started actually when I was working for the arts organisations. I did that for about 15 years and I just wasn't being creative for myself. 
I sort of let my own creativity go by the wayside. That feeling of dissatisfaction that I was using my creativity for other people or facilitating other people's creativity and engagements in the arts. And I think from there, it just this sort of, you know, I really want to be working on my own things. I've got so many ideas that I want to bring to life and they're not happening. Um, and then it was, I'm going to start focusing on this a little more. And the other things have kind of quietened down. It, it's almost like I was describing this to somebody. It's almost like I've got this control panel. I visualize it as a control panel. But all the things I've done are on that control, lever switches. And it's just a case of, right, right now that lever is up. So I'm focusing on that. It doesn't mean the other things have gone and will never come back again. It's just at the moment, concentrating on my personal work, my personal projects. You know, I'm still using my illustration and my design skills, my animation. That is still there, but I'm using it for myself. And that's really high. And the other sort of dials and levers are lower. But I can already feel, now I feel confident in what my work is about. So I'm not going to be kind of externally influenced I'm starting to feel that bubbling coming back that actually I, I would quite like to do some illustration projects. I would like to collaborate with people. It's almost like I had to step back, work on my own work without anybody, anybody's influence or anything for me able to then step forward and go, right, I'm, I'm okay now to be able to work with other people. So it's kind of just been there bubbling away. I think even as a child, you know, I wanted to be a fine artist, but, you know, it was always that comment, you can't make a living being an artist, so you go down different routes. And I think it was just always there, just bubbling. And it just you just get to an age as well. You just think, right, you know, I'm getting on a bit. If I want to make this dream happen, I've got to do it now. you just got to do it. You've got to take that risk. You've just got to jump straight in and go, that's brilliant. And I love your description of the control panel. Now I can, I'm seeing that and thinking that's a really good way of visually describing how you can like turn on some parts and turn things down and that you always have room to move. It's never fixed. So at any point in time, you could go back to something because you feel like that's what you want to do. Like you feel drawn to it again. And it's a it feels like a way of keeping doors open. Yes. You know, we've all got, it's, it's all looking back at what you've done. It might not even be in the arts or anything, but how can you utilise that? How can you, you know, also recycle it? How can you come back to it in a different way? Which in itself is creative thinking. And using that creative thinking in creating either a lifestyle or a business that really supports you and you know really lights you up and you get enthusiastic about. You mentioned earlier about how financial stress can get in the way of your creativity and also there's you know there's a I guess a history of people saying it's hard to make a living as a fine artist. So what did you do to build up that side of your creative career? I think when I look back historically through transition periods, 
is I would get a part-time job. And I don't think there's anything wrong to sort of say that you get income somewhere else. When I transitioned from uh, ceramics into doing illustration, because I literally, I looking back, sort of did that overnight. I worked in Liberties, which is a really well-known department store in Oxford Street in London. And I worked there on Saturday, uh, yeah, Saturdays, Sundays and Mondays. And then I'll do my illustration work Tuesdays to Fridays. So I did, did it that way. I'm trying to think, and I think I've done that in other ways as well. Uh, more recently, well, not recently, when I sort of had this period of ill health and things, I kind of went off on another tangent, retrained. I was so burnt out with what I was doing that I actually fell out of love with the creative industries. I couldn't even go into an art gallery without feeling sick looking at a painting. But it wasn't the creative industries. It was just I wasn't being created for myself. So I went off, retrained in psychology, which is like another area I'm greatly interested in. And that became uh, a source of income to be able to develop those other things, to get to the point to go right now. It's on that control panel. That was higher to give me the space and time to go and learn and develop and do what I needed to do. The psychology then became, has moved into the creativity coaching. So the psychology element that's dropped down on the control panel, creativity coaching is going up. My creative business is then going up. And I think it's okay for you to take those times to stop and go, if I want these dreams, I need to make sure that they happen and I will do whatever it takes to make them happen. So now I can do those things because I've took that time out to allow that to happen, to go and do the learning and the processing. That's a really good way of describing it and explaining how sometimes you might do certain things in order to support you in another area. That's like a, I guess, a very practical tip around, you know, how do you get an art business off the ground? Well, it makes a lot of sense to have some kind of part-time income and hang on to that kind of almost for as long as you can or until it becomes obvious that it's time to, to jump into the art full-time. It's an interesting one because there's that balance between jumping in, like, you know, do you sink or swim? Or do you do it very slowly and gradually? Yeah, I think at that time, I had no intention of running a creative business. At that time, it was like, no, I've had enough. I'm going off. And being an art is going to be a hobby for me. And that's where my mind frame was at that stage. Uh, the only thing I realized when I was outside of that was, I really miss the creative industries and the creative people. You've got to look at practicalities. I'm a practical person. At that stage, because of my health, I couldn't work as I was working. So I had to find an income somewhere else. It is just the way it is. You've got to look at the realities of what's going in your life. Um, so that was one of the pivotal reasons for changing. But when you go down those paths, you just, you find that things happen. So you mentioned that you have a great interest in psychology and that you went and trained in that area and that became a focus for you. You've since gone on to 
work with other artists and provide creativity coaching. What are some of the, I guess, challenges and the ways that you help people with that part of being an artist, like the psychological side of it? Oh, that's a good question. I think as I work with people, it's very much people have an idea of what they hope for themselves. And it's often it's the self-belief of making that happen. You know, people want to set up their business. um, They want to make money from this or want commissions. They know that, you know, you know the dreams and the hopes for yourself is how can I support people to help that happen? So often when I'm working with people, it's around facilitating those discussions or helping people to co-create that future they want for themselves so they can visualize it and um, put steps in for that. But often a lot of the time it's talking to people around their automatic uh, negative thinking. So it's changing their mindsets, looking at different uh, perspectives, perspective, I can't say perspective, Maybe I'll get another word for that bit. Um, <laughs> it's <laughs> anyway, people often have we have narratives that we tell ourselves in our in our mind. You know, I can't do it because of this. I can't do it because of that. You know, that's a problem. My anxiety. You know, I haven't got the money. I haven't got the support. And um, what I'm doing is actually helping people change that internal narrative to one of I can do this. I can try it, I can see. So I think at the bottom of everything that I do with the coaching is just rewriting people's narrative into something they can believe that they can do and to address those fears and realise that, you know, they're, they're not necessarily real. It's the stories we tell ourselves to keep us safe and in our comfort zones. Yeah, because... Being an artist, like putting yourself out there and putting your work out there, it's can be pretty scary and it's easy for those negative narratives to, to slip in and the comparison with other artists, particularly because of social media, it can be a, a tricky place to navigate. What are some of the suggestions that you have for artists to have a healthy relationship with their art and to keep those positive messages um, in place? The main thing I would say or what I've found is really helpful to me uh, to bring me sort of back to myself is to understand and remember your why you're doing it in the first place. Why are you creating? It might be that you're, you know, you're creating because you want to sell art or share but you're also doing it personally for yourself. So it's understanding that why that always brings you back and go, that's why I'm doing it. So that's why I'm going to continue. I was just going to say, when you said that, that gave me tingles because whenever I get off track and I get too focused on the sales of my art or anything like that or followers and likes and things like that, I kind of forget the why. And then it's only when I sit down and I paint and I have some quiet space and I might put the music on and whatnot and then I will sit there and I will feel that. I'll go, oh, 
this is why I paint. Like I paint because it makes me feel better. Like it's, you know, it's something very personal. It's nothing to do with all of that other stuff. And Mm. when you explained that, I was just like, oh, yeah, it's so true. Like getting back to those those reasons is so important. Yeah. I think it's also can be difficult that sort of it's trying to separate are you an artist that wants to create for personal development of some reasons or are you running a business because if you want to make money from that you've got to accept all the consequences of running a business as well I really love the act of running a business whatever it is so for me I love that aspect and I love creating so you can put them together but if you don't enjoy that business aspect the reality of it the accounts the admin you know photographing social media then you you need to look at is is it for me and I think that's a really important thing to think about because it's something that you have to take on board and accept that's a really good point and a good question to ask yourself especially if um if you're in that hobby stage and you're thinking about whether or not you want to turn it into a business I guess there's a practical side to it or a realistic side where you need to ask yourself is this what I want and consider it from all all angles Um, because there is a good bit of business and admin that's for sure there is and you can get stuck in that and I think from the question you were saying, what point from hobby to looking at ass selling and things is I actually stopped with her. I really love running a business. I love being self-employed. I love this aspect. So it's like, right, then I'm going to put those two things, my two passions together. And that's where I am now. So how does it feel now to be combining those two passions? Oh, I love it. <laughs> Uh, I do I do I just just being creative I wonder if I could share something I know uh, it might be something you might ask is is I wrote something uh, when I was working with a coach it was actually I was working with a coach that helped me re-energize my creativity as well as the 100 day project and one of the questions she asked me what does uh, success look for you that's amazing because that was going to be one of my questions (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you're you're answering it and asking it. It's great. Carry on. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought I would share that with you. And it's not it's not fantastic or anything, but what I wrote, and we're talking going back, you know, this six years to when I was very started. So it was something that gets me excited to jump out of bed in the morning. It's something that I look forward to spending all my day doing. It doesn't feel like work. I'm happy to shout about it from the rooftops and it brings smiles to people's faces. That's amazing. And I'm pretty well doing it. That's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And thank you so much for sharing that with all of us. Mm. It's very inspiring to hear your whole story and to hear that you are now doing what you always wanted to do, making art and running a business. It's awesome. I think that's where we'll end it today, Angela. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. Thank you so much, Laura. And you'll be, I was going to say you have a good day, but it's been today for you. (laughs) I'm going home now, (laughs) wrapping up for the day. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, take care, Laura. You too. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Well, that's it for this week. What a heartwarming conversation to finish the Redefining Success series with. As always, I encourage you to reach out to the artist. You can check out Angela's website at angelaterrace.com and follow her on Instagram at Angela Terrace. And if you are sharing Instagram stories about the episode, I would love it if you could also tag me at Laura Horn Art. Before I go, I wanted to mention that registration for my in-depth six-week e-course, Modern Mixed Media, is opening on the 1st of October. This time round, I'll be sending out a special exclusive offer to people that have popped their name on the wait list. So if you are interested in taking the course, make sure you head on over to laurahornart.com forward slash modern mixed media. Next week, Richie and I will be back to debrief and chat about what we have learned from the Redefining Success series. We are both really looking forward to it and it will also be an opportunity for us to update you on what we are working on and how things have been going with us over the past few months. So I hope that you'll join us for that and that you have a lovely week.